take the mark. Oh, he's a light, Gary Ablett. Look at this. Here is the magician at work. He shoots towards goal. What more can you say? Hargraves kicks inside the 50. Bounces in front of Burns. Burns magnificently. This deserves a goal. And he's got it. What a classic. Inboard, awkward kick by Colbert. Half, half, ball, 50-50. Riccardi, brilliant. What a goal this will be. Matching. Can't break free of the tackle. And Rook rolls it along the line. Oh. That is amazing. Steve Johnson, another one who the Cats will be hoping gets up today. Ooh, and again there's a turnover. And Edwards, the little genius, drives it home. Chapman can run in and finish the job. It's the Cats Whiskers. Hello and welcome to the fifth instalment of the Cats Whiskers as we take the opportunity to celebrate the careers of the men that made the Geelong Football Club great. My name is Wes Cussworth and after the success of our first four episodes, we're back with one of the toughest and most durable of the Cats through the late 70s and 80s, Ray Card. I'm joined for this episode by Mark Brunger, Megan Holtz, and Gus Marini to catch up with a man whose career spanned 110 games in the blue and white. They're finding Bruce Nankervis. He elects to give it back back towards the Raycard. Raycard kicks it right out there looking for Terry Bright, and he takes the easy foot marks. The hand pass across the card, drives it long towards half forward. He doesn't mind the tough stuff, does this young fellow on the halfback flank? Well taken by Card. Card's floating kick out towards the centre wing. Kelvin Matthews trundling along behind him. Short pass, Card and Conlon. Card well done. Very, very strong was that. The current president of the Geelong Past Players Association, Ray Card joined Geelong from Morwell following in the footsteps of his father, George, who had played 46 games for the Cats through the 1940s. Debuting in 1977, Ray played most of his games over the next decade off halfback and was once described as the steam train in the Geelong Guernsey by media after famously colliding with Keith Gregg at Cadinia Park in 1978. Casson trying to go through without the ball and finally spins out with it, but this time it's card for Geelong. Card across in the Turner Gregg direction, the fist of Gregg. Card runs up. Gregg down and out. The result of a fair charge by card. Ray enjoyed his most outstanding season in 1983, playing in 22 games to win the Cardi Greaves medal as Geelong's best and fairest player. Despite some terrific games in succeeding years, shoulder and knee injuries took their toll with his time at Kidinia Park, drawing to a close in 1987. Ray, welcome to the Cats Whiskers. Thanks very much, mate. Great to have you with us. Tell us, what was it like following in your dad's footsteps and playing for the Cats? Um... Very proud. Um, Dad really he, he played back in the, as you said, the late 40s. But he was um, 
pretty modest about it. And really, when I was a kid growing up, I didn't understand you know, what I wanted to achieve with that was. So when the choice came to go to either Hawthorne or Geelong, um, it wasn't a hard decision to make. Um, and uh, I was lucky enough to get Dad's number two, which made it even more special there. Ray, uh, as we as we heard there, 1977 was the, the year that you arrived uh, at uh, Cadenia Park uh, from from Morwell. Tell us a little bit about your football career in Morwell uh, to start with before you uh, arrived at uh, Cadenia Park. Yeah, well, I started off uh, as a six-year-old junior with what they call the Morwell Tiger Cubs and um, graduated through there. And uh, when I was 16, made my debut at Morwell and played there for three years and... Um, I ended up winning the best and fairest. But funnily enough, early on in my career, I think when Bill McMaster came down to have a look at me when I was playing in the under-16s, I was a leading goal kicker and uh, transitioned to the back line later on. I think when they come down and watch me, I kicked one goal seven. So, yeah, I think my, my fate was sealed then when they saw that. But, um, yeah, um, Bellatrae Valley League was a very tough league, very tough, and um, probably was a, a, a good sounding board to move down to, to Geelong, yeah. Ray, um, in the intro, Megan mentioned that you did follow in your father's footsteps playing for the for the Cats. Um, you did wear his number 20 as well. So the two questions I have is how did you feel and how did that come about uh, wearing your dad's number? But in today's climate, what 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 are your thoughts on the father-son rule? Do you think it should be the hundred games or do you think it just should be one game and a bit of romance into the into the game into the league? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, um... First question, number 20, I think Ian Lutas had it before I come down and he he left Geelong and went back to Anglesey. I think he might have played and coached there. but uh, So that was just a coincidence, but it was great to obviously get that number. As far as the father and son rule goes, well, back in Dad's day, it was 25 games. And as you said, now it's up to 100. Look, it's uh, it's hard to work out what, what the right measure is, but I think the blokes are playing more games these days. Um, I think the... The system is such that the players are probably a bit more durable and the recovery is a lot better and that, and things like that. So, look, I think 50 games would be nice, but um, who knows what's happening. Is it going to be father and daughter rule? That'll be interesting coming up to, you know, in the future. That's something else we're looking at. Indeed it will be, and we can see that already happening with Paul Brown and his daughter being connected there to the yeah. Cats. Now, your situation, of course, uh, takes us back to the old older days of recruiting and obviously things have changed quite dramatically i mean in terms of uh, geelong's uh, recruiting program stephen wells obviously has uh, been absolutely amazing with regard to his success in recent times but they were quite different times in your days weren't they oh look a heck of a lot different um they come down and i asked me uh, after i won the best and first of all to come down and do some pre-season training with them I did that and played a few practice matches and um, ended up getting on what they call the senior list then, which means you're a, you know, you're a bony fighty senior player, even though I didn't start straight away in the seniors. But, um, yeah, it was interesting. I come down, I lived in a house in Aberdeen Street. There was two houses next door to each other. And uh, there was, I think, 16 boys from the country, all the, from Echuca and Bendigo, all the, all the country zones in those days. So uh, we had a lady who lived in a flat at the back and she looked after us as far as food and that went. But it was a really um, it was really good insofar as you had blokes and boys who were in the same situation, leaving your town and, and you know, sort of coming together. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, that was good. 
But in saying that, I left a full-time job in Morwell to come down here and I didn't have work. It was just, you know, fly by the seat of your pants stuff. It's uh, uh, not, not quite the same as it is these days. Ray, the game has obviously changed a lot since you played. Um, tell us about that hit, though, on Keith Gregg. That was, um, I just watched it before, and that was certainly different from what we would probably see these days. Yes, Meg, it's, uh, it's amazing to think that um, it was play on. There was no free kick. There was no nothing. It was just play on. There was no remonstration. The, um, the game stopped. Uh, they got the stretcher out, and I remember Mick Turner was telling me that... Um, they were over in the race, or the old race where they used to be next door to each other. They brought the stretcher out and Crackers said to um, to Mick Turner, Crack, and Mick said to Crackers, or oh, some bump Crackers, and Crackers said, I don't know why they're buying the stretcher, Mick, they're be bringing out shovels. And that was a sort of, that was, but um, yeah, look, I was only a baby then, nearly 20 years old, hadn't played much, and it wasn't an intentional thing, but I thought if I had of, um, taken a sidestep, well, Rod Austin wouldn't look too proudly on that, he would, I would have been out of the team, so. You just do what you have to do. But um, I think the next week I got cleaned up and dislocated my shoulder. So you know, it didn't take long for the wheel to turn. I think we, we heard in the commentary that uh, accompanied your intro, Ray, that the, the commentators did actually say that it was a, a fair bump, which is uh, probably a, a really, really great comment. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to go back to just uh, your debut, round eight in 1977 against Essendon. Uh, it was at uh, Kidinia Park and it was a, a win for the Geelong team. Uh, tell us your recollections of that, that first day running out uh, onto the ground for your first senior game and uh, who were some of the players that you came across and actually played on that day? Um, yeah, well, I was on the bench. I didn't get on until halfway through the third quarter, I think. And I just remember getting on the ground. Uh, I think Mick Turner said to me, just get it and kick it. And I wondered what he was talking about for a second. And then I just everything was just flashing so quickly. Wasn't it? The, there was no comparison between the reserves and the, and, the, and the seniors. It was just so much quicker. And um, I think I was playing a fellow named Ken Roberts, who was a, a good player for wrestling in those days. And I think he, he got the mark of the day, stood right on my shoulders. So. But it was great to have a win. <laughs> I think I got dropped the next week and uh, made my first full game debut against Collingwood at Waverley a few games later. But yeah, just to have my dad down there. Mum wouldn't watch me play football because she thought I'd get hurt. Um, but that was mum. She couldn't couldn't bear to see that. But dad was uh, very proud and uh, great to see. He was down there and saw some of his old teammates as well. It was fantastic. Ray, you, um, you did have a reputation of being a bit of a goal kicker in the... Uh... Gippsland League there, and um, your record shows you kicked four goals for the Geelong Footy Club in 110 games. Did you ever yearn and have the itch to go up forward, or did you try to drop a hint to any of your coaches during your career? Look, well, I used to sneak forward a little bit before I got a chance and leave my man, but I think, yeah, um, I wasn't very quick and not super skillful, so I think they decided that um, the back line was best for me where I could wrestle. I normally played on the bigger fellas wrestle with them and, and do my work there. But, um, you know, I, I always used to like getting down. I think I kicked one at Cadenia Park or one at Victoria Park, one at Windy, uh, no, nah, yeah, one at, two at, two at Arden Street. Yeah, so there you go. So, but, yeah, um, I, when I went and played later on in the bush, I, I was coaching, I drifted into the forward line because I could. Yes, we'll certainly talk more about your country football experience that followed your VFL experience a little bit later in the interview. But interestingly enough, when Billy Yolgan took over from Rod Olsen, obviously that 
set a bit of a task for you because his approach to the game was quite different. And I know that that didn't necessarily suit your game style, but the silver lining was, there was that you obviously had some premiership success in the reserve grade competition. Yeah, that's right. Um, Rod probably appreciated my style uh, a bit more, you know, hard at it, straightforward, not super skillful. I'd first admit I wasn't quick and I wasn't skillful. So, but I was, when I come down to Geelong, I was super fit. I made sure that that was one thing I wasn't going to be behind everyone else and uh, made up for some of the deficiencies. But once Billy come along, um, he was very, very set on speed and skill. And as I said, I was lacking in both of those departments to some extent. And, um, I think by 1982, uh, I played seven senior games, which was the least I'd played in five years. So um, I had Melbourne knocking on my door, but I ended up playing in the reserves grand final. I did quite well in 82. And then uh, I'd actually had talks with Melbourne and then um, Billy ended up getting the sack and uh, I had Tommy Hafey on the phone. And he was that enthusiastic about what we can do next year. And then I sort of thought, but I'm not going anywhere. I'll stay and give Tommy a go. Well, you've answered that next question for me, Ray. I was going to ask you what kept you at Geelong, but tell us a bit more about Tom Hafey and what his coaching style was like and what you enjoyed most about that. Tommy was a great communicator, very popular with the players. Um, if there was one criticism, he trained everyone the same, which is a no-no these days. It's horses for courses. Like the Nankervis brothers were at the twilight of their career in those days and he trained them just as hard as the new kids coming through. So I, I sort of I twigged on that a little bit. It didn't, didn't affect me, but I could see that it was a little bit hard on the other guys. But the thing I liked about Tommy is that, um, going with Billy where if you made a few mistakes, uh, you're off the ground and sort of then you're on tender hooks for the rest of the game. If I do that again, I'm going to be off it. Tommy let you go and uh, settle in. He doesn't. He didn't. Um, he didn't have any knee-jerk reactions. He let you settle in and, uh, and gave you more confidence in yourself. And I think that's what I appreciate him about the most. Ray, uh, the back line that you played there with uh, at Geelong uh, during your career. Uh, I mean, apart from obviously the modern day uh, superstars like uh, Maddie Scarlett and uh, Joel Corey, Corey Enright and the likes, probably uh, rates highly in terms of uh, great Geelong backlines over the years. Just uh, players of the calibre of Gary Malarkey, Ian and Bruce Nankervis. You had jumping Jack Hawkins down the back line there. Just tell us what it was like to play with those guys and, and what sort of confidence that they gave you uh, knowing that those sorts of players were around you. Look, I really uh, I, I admired Ian and Bruce Nankervis so much because I'd watch them at training. They weren't super quick. They were by no means... Um, big, strong fellows, but just the way they willed themselves to the ball and read the play. Like, I remember in the old days, they'd kick it across goal to each other and the crowd had gasped, oh, what are they doing? You know, we go go straight down the ground, but they were sort of before their time in that regard. Gary Malarkey, he was just yeah, one of the best players pound for pound I've ever seen as far as six foot, but he'd take on the monsters and rarely get beaten. And of course, you had Jumping Jack Hawkins, who was uh, yeah, a fantastic player. Later on, we had Mark Boss, Bernard Tui. So there was a rich vein of good back. And then Terry Bright come and tried us down to the half-back line until I told him to get back to the half-forward line because he's, he was still close down there too. But, yeah, there was a, certainly a, a lot of talent down there on the back line. While we're talking about the back line, um, Ray, I wanted to ask, in this day and age when we speak to current-day players, they talk about this back six sort of brethren and this camaraderie they have, which which they believe that it's a lot 
close and tighter knit than, say, the midfielders and the forwards. Was it the same back in your day? Did the, the guys in the back line sort of have this click together? Were they mates off the ground? Or was it just something that's come of recent times? I think it's probably more recent times. In the older, we were all great mates with everyone at the club. We had a great... Um, we had a great culture as far as being mates and, and look after each other and go out with each other. Um, probably in those days, you were you playing a man and that'd be your job. You know, there wasn't as... I used to hate it when I was playing on resting ruck rovers and the guy who was ruck roving kicked the goal and you'd come back and stand next to you and the camera would come on where he wasn't even on you. But in, in those days, yeah, it was more set plays. Players didn't leave their opponents as much, although Ian Ancurvis did develop that runoff sort of style of play. So it was a bit more stayed back then. This time when you look at Matty Scarlett and how he used to peel off and Darren Milburn, leave their men and, and go and uh, help their teammate. It's a lot more, uh, I think there's a bit more teamwork in that regard there, whereas in the older days you just look after yourself maybe. And Ray, obviously the situation emerges in pre-season games and the like where you're playing scratch matches against some of your teammates and by all accounts, uh, our guest from our very first podcast, uh, Darren Morgan, uh, made mention of the fact to me that uh, perhaps you had a little more than you would have uh, particularly liked on your hands when you went up against Mark Jackson in a scratch match. Uh, he provided some challenges, I believe. Uh, I've always pride myself that I can't fight, but I make it very hard for the bloke who can. So it, it was on for young and old. It was on for young and old and... Um, I think we were on each other and I fell to the ground. I think he sunk the slipper in, which I didn't take kindly to. And so I'm up and we're into it. And they had umpires that used to train out in the old rugby ground outside in those days. And they were umpiring the game and we're at it. And the umpire said to Tommy, what do you do? What do you want us to do? And he said, just let them go. So, <laughs> yeah, sink or swim. But yeah, I actually played against Jacko when he was at Melbourne seconds. And I think it was Richmond seconds. So there was a bit of history there and not a bit of love lost, but, Oh, we got over it. it was just yeah, no, no big deal. Ray, which of your opposition uh, players did you most like to take up against? Well, I I played on Lee Matthews about four times, and that was a huge challenge. I said to someone, "There's no lonelier feeling than when you're in the goal square, and there's no one in the 50 meter arc and you stand next to Lee Matthews, because uh, in those days um, you grab someone by the jumper." can expect a bit of something coming back with interest. So that was a challenge, but played on him good about three times. I reckon I held my own, and once I reckon I beat him. And then he pants me one day and kicked seven goals in three quarters on me. So, um, but uh, I wasn't the first or last guy he did that to, but I played on lots of big fellas. I played on Michael Roach a few times, Bernie Quinlan. Um, who else? Oh, Brian Taylor in the twos a few times. It was interesting. Yeah, raving Brian. Mm. So um, Simon Beasley, so there was a couple of, you know, and they're sort of guys who were about three or four inches taller than me. So I had my sort of work cut out there to try and hold them down rather than let them you know, get up and jump over the top of me. So, yeah, but just to do, you know, play on folks like that, it's just, a, yeah, it's great thrill. Ray, just want to go back to uh, the late 70s, early 80s again, if, if we could. Um, that's probably when I first started paying a great deal of attention to the to the uh, success or otherwise of the Geelong Football Club for me. Um, and I can remember, you know, 1980, 1981, 1982, 
uh, Billy Goggin really sort of had the the place humming and and we were making the finals. We made the finals 80, 81, 82, I think, from memory. Um, but the club sort of lost its way a little bit uh, towards the end of um, Billy Goggin's tenure there. What do you put that down to? Hard to work out. I think that... Um, yeah. I think supporters get impatient and get frustrated. Like we could, we could have been in two of those grand finals. I think in, you know, I think it was eighty-one and eighty-two, and there was the old sidey on the bus trick and John O having hamburgers on the way down and milkshakes and whatever. Uh, I don't know how, 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 how much it had, but it must have been something going on. But I think that sort of, and I think he had a few blues with the committee. Maybe I might be talking. Now. I'm not too sure, but I think there was other things bubbling behind the scenes and. Um, I think when Tommy become available, they just thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll go and do that. But certainly, um, certainly an opportunity to go and beg him. I think we might have pinched one then. I think we were just as good or better than Collingwood and, and, and you know, those guys around that time. Just speaking of that era, um, Ray, which, if you had to pinpoint a year of the one that you thought got away, I know we played in two preliminary finals, but Geelong still had some pretty good um, squads going through the 80s. What year would you say that was the one you probably did miss out that we could have actually... Um, walked away with the flag. I think '82 was uh, the one that sort of stands out to me. I think we were yeah, right, well, good enough to win it, uh, but it just didn't happen. I was I played quite most of the season that year, and I hurt my knee in the second last game of the year against Footscray Community Park. And they going to have an operation after that, so um, that was disappointing. But um, and obviously finished by the time '89 came. I was I come down from Wangaratta Rocks. That that's the best game of football I've ever seen, except for the Except for the result, it was just it just had everything. Uh, but to, uh, to credit to Malcolm Blight, I didn't play underneath him. But to, for him to get them where they were, to where they finished up in '89 so quickly, was unbelievable. Yeah, basically the same playing group. So um, yeah, he certainly um, talked very highly of that's for sure. You made mention of the opportunities to play against a legendary player like Lee Matthews, who clearly is, um, I suppose, viewed poorly in the eyes of a lot of Geelong supporters on the back of that Neville Bruns incident. Now, I know that you played in round one against Hawthorne of 85, and that incident happened in round 12. Were you there, and did you see what transpired, and, and what was your take on that? Uh, I, I was... Um, I hurt... I did my knee in the first round in, in 85, and I never played again till around 1987 so at that stage I was managing the Birragara pub for Bobby Davis and um, I was watching it in the pub and I yeah, I was nearly jumping through the screen after I saw what happened it was uh, I'm probably lucky I wasn't playing that day it could have been could have been worse but um, yeah it was and look it could have been anyone going past I don't think Lee never knew it was Neville Bruns he just swung and you know swung a beauty but um I think he uh, got his come up and so. I think uh, Jacko and Stevie Hockey may have even been involved there. I don't know. But uh, all the stuff's no good. And thank goodness it doesn't happen, or not much these days, at least anyway. Ray, it must have been an honour to take home a Kaji Greaves medal. That season, were you looking as though you were the favourite? Well, as I said, played in the reserves grand final the next year, so I was coming from a fair way back. There was a few blokes in front of me. And uh, I can remember the first game of the year, I started off on the bench Played a half. Uh, Tommy wasn't big on moves. <laughs> and then the next game, the second game, I started on the bench and played the last quarter. And then the next game, I didn't get on the ground. And this is 
did it change. It wasn't 19th or 20th. So um, what happened was that uh, I think Peter Ziggler was in my spot in the back pocket, Ziggy, and uh, he, he, he heard his groin. And uh, there was a night game on the Tuesday night, which gave me a, a let in to, to show my uh, wares and played okay. And that was it. Played the rest of the season in the seniors. And, um, and very humbling to win a Kaji with or the calibre of those players you're playing here. It's just unbelievable. It was uh, yeah, a little bit yeah, very humbling, honestly. Yeah. Ray, uh, you were in the uh, probably one of the last generations that got to play at uh, a lot of the suburban grounds. Uh, a lot of the supporters listening to uh, the show and uh, and also watching today's football wouldn't uh, wouldn't understand the uh, the pleasures of uh, Arden Street or uh, Princess Park or anything like that, but. I really like to hear your thoughts about playing at Victoria Park because uh, a lot of our listeners wouldn't uh, realise that Victoria Park was one heck of a place to go to. And I remember my one and only ever visit to Victoria Park and I swore and vowed I'd never go back there again. Uh, it was uh, yeah, it was out of this world. I think we, we beat them there one day and um, we're walking off the ground after the game pretty happy with ourselves because the win at Victoria Park was you know a big thing in those days and uh, we were coming off the ground we get to the races and the races are next door to each other obviously and um, the only thing that's separating you from the crowd is some cyclone wire so there's spittle and stuff coming out they, they didn't care they were spitting on you and <laughs> all this and one bloke come up up to the fence and put his, his face against the wire and spat at me, so I duly planted one on his chin, and <laughs> he had a few marks, a few um, traces of wire on his face marks. So, uh, but anyway, wouldn't happen these days. But yeah, that was just was not out of control, but just yeah, ridiculous, mad. Yeah, speaking of these days, Ray, what would you believe um, that you could bring from your era into today's game that would improve the standard or improve players' enjoyment? And conversely, what would, what would you bring back from today's era into your day to make it more enjoyable for you guys, apart from the money? Oh, yeah, well, there wasn't much money then. Um, maybe uh, the way they've cleaned the game up, if you wanted to transfer that back into that time, um, I think that would be a lot better, although a lot of people went to watch that. Probably, and you know, there's a lot, a lot of people did like to see a bit of biffo and stuff like that. Um, so, if that could be transferred back, that would be nice. Uh, but looking back, what was better then? I think the thing that stands out to me is just the goal kicking uh, it was so much better then. Blokes who just wouldn't miss. Uh, and these days, whether it be, I say, they're fatigued or you know their heart rates up because all the GPS is on them, and they think you know, they, and they'd probably do a lot more running. But I think that's the only thing that hasn't improved is the, is the actual goal kicking because, um, yeah, they just missed some easy ones. Field kicking's unbelievable, a lot better than it was in the old days. You'd see people get it, just throw the torpedo or mongrel putter on the boot just to get yardage. But uh, the field kicking's so much better. But, yeah, goal kicking, it's, uh, it's weird how, how it hasn't improved. Ray, of course, leaving the VFL experience for you at Geelong and, and heading up to Wangaratta, but I believe at that particular point in time, you were um, courted by something in the vicinity of 18 country clubs. That's extraordinary, isn't it? And and why did you choose Wang? Yeah, well, uh, I had lots of clubs ringing up and I probably didn't want to, oh, I didn't want to really leave Geelong, but I thought, well, I, I when I finished my career, I went up to John Devine. I said, you still want me? 
And he said, oh, I think there's probably younger fellas that'll do a better job than you. And, and my knees were shot. I'd had three Ricos and uh, I think about 12 arthroscopes by then. So I was on one leg. Yeah, it was still pretty fit. Um, but Wangaratta was, um, I went up there and stayed at Terry Johnson's place, Stevie's dad. He was a, one of the committee men. And uh, they seemed a good bunch of people, had a really nice club rooms and ground and that. So I just sort of well, we'll go up there. It was, um, and had a ball, uh, played three years with Wang. Uh, first year I missed half a season with, um, with uh, a knee. I had to have another operation on that. But the next year played the whole season, had a really good year, but uh, then ended up going out to a little place called Millerwall with the Brown Brothers uh, notoriety, the, the wine. And played in the premiership there and that was my last game at 34 so uh but i was on tired legs by then i can give you the drum here i was no good <laughs> yeah you mentioned steve johnson just before did you watch much of his career as he came through geelong we did and for him to get the number 20 was fantastic because yeah. he was died in the wool um died in the wool collingwood sport mad collingwood sport as a whole family and um and we used to go around to barbecues and he was a snotty nose cheeky little bat running around the yard and, doing all these tricks then and uh, when he come down to Geelong I was you know, wrapped and um, he certainly didn't let us down and he had that little, little larrick in him as we all know and um, he, he matured and got through that and uh, yeah, what would be three quarter time Normie in the 2007 just call me Normie and he, he took out the Norm Smith so yeah, yeah he was a freak you know he'd do anything I think there was some nice film of him ordering uh, ordering a coffee recently. Uh, the coffee was for Norm, which was a nice touch, I thought. Uh, Ray, just uh, before we come to the end of the uh, the interview with you, uh, you're now the the president of the uh, Geelong Past Players Association. Tell us a little bit about that role and uh, and why you took it on. Uh, I think Brian Brushville asked me about eight or nine years ago if I wanted to get involved. He was after some younger people, believe it or not, so he should have gone to Specsavers, but. Um, and then I ended up vice president and then president. But um, it's just a matter of on match days, uh, getting past players together and we're still trying to get more to come back. Uh, sometimes uh, when players leave, it's not of their own accord and so they're not happy or, you know, they thought they could have kept going. But we, um, we've got a really good group down there. Yates is vice president, Mark Yates. Runzi there too, Marty Christensen and those sorts of guys. Um, and Nick, Nick Walsh is our treasurer. And we've got um, Timmy Callan involved now too. Wayne Hody, he's an old, older guy too. Brian Chergman as well. So we've already got a good bunch of hard workers, although we're not doing much this year. But we tip in a fair bit of money to the footy club and try and help out there. And um, if any of our past mates are coming across hard times or need a hand, we try and lend a hand there. Do a bit of community work, go to um, go to some retirement villages and stuff and have a couple of talks. Me and, um, me and Yates even went to the prison uh, last well, a couple of years ago and had a talk out there we nearly kept us there but uh with that that, that was uh that was a bit different but yeah we we just try and uh, do some stuff around the community and and look after our own and um i think we're recognized as one of the better associations in the league and uh to the footy club's credit they look after us they give us 150 seats each week uh for players and their partners and stuff so uh they're certainly not lost on the importance of past players, whether it be from a successful year or your one way or just battling away, keeping the home fires burning so the next generation can have perhaps a little bit of success. So, um, yeah, we're, we're happy with the way we're going and uh, we've got a really good bunch of, of people down there. 
Absolutely. And you've got a much nicer place to sit too these days, Ray, compared to the old past players stand, which is always nice. <laughs> <laughs> Still sitting out at St Mary's there. God bless it. Yeah, that was a, it was a blast from the past. And yeah, well, it looked a little bit out of place with the facilities they got now. If they kept it standing there, it'd be, it'd be uh, yeah, quite a what a, a sight, the sore eyes, I reckon. Absolutely. Well, mate, we, we've absolutely loved catching up with you. It's a, it's a real pleasure to, to speak with you, one of the, um, the the great names of the Geelong Football Club over the years, and uh, continue good luck and success to you and uh, your committee with the uh, the Past Players Association, and, and we certainly hope to be uh, talking to a lot more of your uh, colleagues um, as as time goes by. But, but thank you very much for your time, and, and we hope you've enjoyed the experience. Martin, thank you guys. You're doing a good job and uh, yeah, keep, keep going with the catters. Thanks very much. Coming up next, it's Gus Marini with Team Talk. This week's Team Talk, we're featuring three club champions and not just players who played for three clubs because there's plenty of those but we're looking at actual champions who played for a minimum of three clubs and when we go through some of these names um, people will be amazed at just how soon we forget of some of our champions such as Dermot Brereton who moved on to not just one but two clubs after spending their career at their um, at, at their first club so what I'll do from here is read out the side from the back line. This, this team does contain a couple of Brownlow medalists as well, a few premiership players. So here we go. From the back line, it's Brad Hardy, Martin Pike, and Darren Jolly. Now, Brad Hardy being the Brownlow medalist, we, we know he won his Brownlow with the Bulldogs in 85. He went to play a few games at Brisbane and then finished up at Collingwood with a couple of games there. Martin Pike played with four teams and played in premierships, three with the Brisbane Lions and one with North Melbourne. The halfback line reads of Dale Kickett and Brent Croswell and John Rantel. Now, Dale Kickett played at five clubs, Fitzroy, St Kilda, West Coast, Essendon, and finally going back to Western Australia and finishing with the Dockers. Brent Croswell was a four-time premiership player, Carlton and North. And Johnny Rantel was a games record holder for quite a number of years with 333 games. and um, he actually surpassed Fitzroy's Kevin Murray, and that was part of the reason why Fitzroy lured him into one season so he could break the record in, in the Fitzroy jumper. The centre line of Jeff Rains, Greg Williams, Jewel Brownlow medalist, and Terry Wallace. A lot of best and fairest awards in, in that centre line. And as we know, Greg Williams started his career at Geelong, and geez, wouldn't we have loved to have kept him there for a decade. Went over to Sydney and then over to Carlton, became a premiership player. The half-forward line of Phil Carmen, Dermot Burden, who we first mentioned, and Richard Osborne. Phil Carmen played at four teams, obviously notably Collingwood, went off to Essendon where he had his incident with a, with a boundary umpire, then followed Ron Barassi to, North, uh, to Melbourne and then finished with 22 games at North Melbourne. The forward line's quite interesting. Rover and Carlton Colt figure Vinica Toggio uh, he also found himself as a bit of a journeyman. He went over to Melbourne, finished his career at Sydney. And um, and in the forward line, we have Mark Jackson, who makes a, a regular spot on this team. And he, as we know, finished his career at the Cats after starting in the reserves at Richmond, but played senior footy at Melbourne and St Kilda. And Barry Hall, who was just as fiery, played for his three clubs, St Kilda, Sydney and the Western Bulldogs. The Rucks, Collingwood legend Len Thompson, uh, 
he went over to the Sydney to well, to South Melbourne back then and finished at Fitzroy. John Murphy, a five-time best and fairest player at Fitzroy and captain, went over to, to South Melbourne as well and finished at North, where he won another best and fairest. And Brian Wilson, the Brownlow medalist, um, couldn't really cut it at North and, and, and Footscray, won his Brownlow at Melbourne and then went off and finished his career at St Kilda. The interchange bench, very quickly, Peter Spider-Everett started St Kilda, finished at Sydney. Graham Teasdale was part of the John Petura trade, which saw him go from Richmond and land at South Melbourne to win a Brownlow medal and receiving it in his brown velour suit, And but then finished his career at Collingwood. And Renee Kink um, started with the Pies, went to Essendon, played in another losing grand final, which made it six for Renee, and finished his career at St Kilda. And the coach of the three club champions is Mick Malthouse, who coached four teams in his career, started with Footscray, went over to the West Coast Eagles, which we'll choose to forget, over to Collingwood, secured another premiership and finished at Carlton. Spectacular side that you've got there. I absolutely love what you've come up with there. And I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned uh Graham Teasdale on that brown velour suit, Wes. Uh, it's probably one of the, the, the most beautiful things I've ever seen worn at a Brownlow medal count. Yes, indeed. He certainly uh, took it in terms of the fashion stakes that year, didn't he? Uh, I'm particularly impressed for the benefit of our Perth listeners in Mick Malthouse, obviously uh, involved with four clubs and uh, obviously a fine coach and just such an authority on the game. And, of course... His success with the West Coast Eagles, uh, much to the chagrin of all of us Geelong supporters. Yes, definitely. And for those, we've spoken to Mick a few times and he'll always emphasise, even during his time at Collingwood, how difficult it is for the non-Victorian teams, especially the West Australian teams, to actually win a, win a premiership because of the travel they do, um, which is a lot more. And, and the sports science has proven that, you know, there are years that have, taken off West Coast players and Fremantle players due to due to the uh, the impact that travel has on the body. So that's an enormous feat to, to win two flags in such a, a short time of the Eagles' existence. Megan, what's caught your attention about this side? Well, interestingly, probably slightly different actually, I'm looking at Martin Pike and noticed that he was at the Lions. He left and then went back to the Lions, but as Brisbane which made me think about how many players have would have done that, would have left Fitzroy, played for another club and then gone to Brisbane. Would he be the only one, do you think? Now, what had happened there, Megan, was when the, um, uh, the, the merge happened in, at the end of 96, they, they, uh, Brisbane was entitled to secure eight players from the then Fitzroy. They had first dibs on them. But um, Martin was a bit of a journeyman because by his own admission, he, he probably didn't settle down at Melbourne and, and then at Fitzroy, played some good footy. And then he, w- he probably thought his career was over by the time he finished at Fitzroy, but then North gave him the chance and really knuckled down and, and cut out a niche for him on that halfback flank, became a premiership player and went from strength to strength. But yeah, there'd be, um, there was a handful of players who went from Fitzroy over to the Brisbane Lions. With the club in between though? Oh, of course. No, no, probably not. Probably not. To answer your question, there wouldn't be many that um, that, that would have that would have had that that criteria, I suppose. So there, there you go. There's a there's an interesting stat. It becomes an interesting trivia question, doesn't he, Martin Pike? Uh, Megan Hole's making uh, trivia questions on the run. Good work, yeah, Megan. It certainly well is. Um, Gus, uh, the interesting thing for me with some of these players is that, and it's not the case across the board, but 
the majority of the ones that I, I look at there, I think, actually played their best football at their first club. Oh, definitely. When you look at legends of the game and you look at guys like uh, Len Thompson and you you look at Dermy, I mean, Dermy was pretty much shot when he went over to Sydney and Sydney, as we know, were really down in the dumps back then and couldn't, you know, they could hardly win any games. So, um, yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. And yeah, even Brad Hardy's best footy was at the was at Footscray. So probably a couple exceptions to the rules and John Murphy, who was a Fitzroy legend um, still believed he had a lot of quality footy left in him and did okay at South Melbourne, but ended up winning a best and fairest at North. So Barry Hall um, probably saw his best days at St Kilda and uh, definitely Sydney, but then, you know, the Western Bulldogs did okay, but probably at the end of his career. So, yeah, I think, when we that's why I think it's so easy to forget when we see champions and they go on to play for another two clubs. We tend to forget it so so easily. So when we think of names like Dermot Brereton, we just immediately think of Hawthorne. I don't think we really think of Sydney and Collingwood. No, I think I would agree with you in that regard. And and Vin Cotoggio is another really good example of that. Obviously, we just think of Vin as being a, a Carlton man. And I know that he's a bit of a favourite of yours, Gus, isn't he? Oh, look, Vin, Vin is a cult hero and he's a, a local in the community that I live in. He's a, he's a very respectful and lovable character. And I would dare say that even the majority of Carlton supporters would either not know or would have forgotten that he actually moved on from Carlton because it's just, again, something that just fades because I think he played a handful of games at, at Melbourne and probably you could count him on one hand how many played at Sydney as well. So I think that's what tends to happen. We... At the moment, it's it's there, but I think as time goes on, we remember these these players for the for the first team that they played with, where we where the supporters grew to love them. And Renee King, because you made mention, Gus, I, I just think that's quite extraordinary. The fact that he should have played so much good football, clearly to get to be part of a team that makes its way to the grand final and then have such incredible misfortune. Yeah, definitely. Because as you say, Wes, he played in five losing grand finals at Collingwood. When we say five, we include the draw of 77. Goes over to Essendon, plays some really good footy at Essendon. He wasn't just making up the numbers, plays in the 83 grand final when, as we know, uh, Lee Matthews led Hawthorne, um, you know, walloped Essendon by 83 points. And then the year later was still a chance to play in that 84 team, but just um, didn't make the final cut. He could have walked away with one medallion out of seven, but just wasn't to be. Len Thompson's an interesting one because Len Thompson was 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 pretty much an institution at Collingwood, um, one of their most revered players, and then for him to uh, to turn around and end up at uh, uh, probably South Melbourne, it would have been at the time. Gus, was it or uh, was it actually Sydney? It was actually um, South Melbourne at the time, Mark. And this is a very interesting story, and again, it's something that it's a sliding doors moment because um, they felt at Collingwood that he probably. Um, didn't have the legs in him to continue playing in the ruck. And um, when Collingwood did play in that 77 grand final, um, they had the Peter Moore, uh, they had they had Peter Moore in the ruck and they, they a lot of the players that were playing at the time lamented for the fact that Len Thompson would have been very handy um, in either one of those, those grand finals, either the, the draw or the replay the week after. So again, it's probably one of those sliding doors moments. And then he, then he finished his career at Fitzroy, which, um, didn't play a lot of games there, but at, at South Melbourne, he was still playing some pretty serviceable footy. So Gus, uh, fabulous job once again. Thank you so much for the work that you've put into our three club champions, Team Talk Team of the Week. 
For the benefit of our Sport FM 91.3 listeners, a bit of a tease, along with those who listen to our us through uh, podcast platforms such as Google Podcasts, Pod, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, along with being heard on Anchor, Spotify and Breaker. What are we looking forward to next week? Because that has really caught my attention. And that, of course, oh. is the uh, the brother, the brotherly love that you're going to demonstrate for us next week. We are, Wes, and I really like, love this topic. It's it's the brother's shadow. And, again, no disrespect to any of the brothers of elite champions that played our game. Because I think if you've played one game of VFL, AFL, senior footy, you've, you've done fantastically well and probably the envy of hundreds of thousands of people. So what we're looking at next week are the brothers who probably were in their brother's shadow who who um, play, played a number of games for um, uh, at VFL, AFL level, but never reached the heights of their more famous brother. Now, the, probably as a bit of a tease, if you, if you look at someone like, say, uh, Calvin Matthews, played a number of games at Hawthorne, probably an exception to the rule. But, you know, when we think of Matthews, we think of Lee Matthews, and we a lot of the time think of Lee Matthews in isolation. So they're the sort of players that we'll be putting together next week on the park and give them the kudos they deserve, Wes. Indeed, we look forward to that with great enthusiasm. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast this week. To those of you listening to us in Perth through Sport FM 91.3 and also those listening to us on many of the platforms that this podcast is available, I'm Wes Cusworth on behalf of Gus Marini, Mark Brunger and Megan Holtz, and we look forward to being with you again next week. Oh, oh, oh.